Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, December 9th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Wall Street braces for the first of two inflation reports before next week's Fed meeting. Janet Yellen holds fast to her call that the U.S. will avoid recession. A vocal bear doubles down on his bearish call for stocks. And Sam Bankman-Fried misses a key deadline set by U.S. lawmakers. Advocates urge a judge to stop New York Mayor Adams from forcing homeless people into mental health treatment, plus a call for new sanctions on Russia and China. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashower in sports. The Mets have re-signed Brandon Nimmo, and they'll play two quarterfinal matches today at the World Cup. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Friday morning. I'm Amy Morris. I'm Nathan Hager. Futures are just a bit higher this morning. It's 501 on Wall Street. We check the markets all day long at Bloomberg. S&P futures are up seven points. Dow futures up 24. NASDAQ futures are higher by 32 points. Ten-year Treasury is down one thirty-second. The yield 3.48%. Yield on the two-year 4.28%. NYMEX crudes up 1.4% or a dollar one at $72.48 a barrel. Amy? Nathan, we start this morning with the U.S. economy. Wall Street closes out the week with a pair of key economic reports. November's Producer Price Index and the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. Bloomberg's Michael McKee brings us a preview. We're into a world of base effects with the November Producer Price Index. Because inflation was higher a year ago, the annual rate of wholesale inflation can fall even if the monthly rate increases. And that's the expectation, a rise in both headline and core inflation for the month, but a drop to the lowest annual headline inflation since May of last year and a drop in the core to the lowest since June. That might contribute to an expected rise in the University of Michigan's Preliminary Consumer Sentiment Index, a small rise, but still at a depressed level. Investors will be more interested in the survey's inflation expectations indexes. Neither one-year or five-year expectations are expected to change, as Americans wait for proof prices are slowing rather than forecasts. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. Well, calls for a recession are growing, but Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she still anticipates the U.S. economy will avoid one. We get the story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. During a visit to Fort Worth, Texas, Yellen said, quote, whether or not we can avoid a recession, I believe the answer is yes. She highlighted that U.S. payrolls so far have avoided declines. On inflation, she said supply chain bottlenecks are clearly beginning to ease, and that's helpful. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, Charlie. Still much of Wall Street disagrees with Secretary Yellen, including the man who manages one of the biggest pension funds in the country. We caught up with Chris Ailman, the chief investment officer of the California State Teachers Retirement System. I feel like a recession has to happen because in my lifetime, 
when the Fed raises rates this aggressively, 75 time and time after again, the economy slows down. The inflation is from the supply chain disruptions and the war. Maybe inflation slows down on its own. I'd be surprised, but I think we've got to have a recession. Chris Ailman oversees about $300 billion at the California State Teachers Retirement System. Well, despite calls for a recession, Amy, some of the world's biggest investors predict stocks will see low double-digit gains next year. 71% of respondents to a Bloomberg survey expect equities to rise. That compares with 19% forecasting declines. For those seeing gains, the average prediction was a 10% return. And, Nathan, the S&P 500 is up about 10% from its October lows. One of the market's most vocal skeptics sees more losses ahead. We spoke with Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson. We don't think that this bear market is over yet, uh, mainly because our forecast for next year on earnings is materially below the street. Now, I know that's becoming a bit of a consensus view, but I think our forecasts are even below uh, you know, kind of this new level that people are talking about. Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson says there's still a case for positioning in defensive value stocks like utilities, staples, and healthcare sectors, but not in industrials, financials, and energy. Hear more of our conversation with Wilson just a little later in the program. Well, in the meantime, Amy, let's take a look at some of the stocks on the move this morning. Shares of Lululemon are down more than 7%. Gross margins at the yoga wear maker came in below estimates. Shares of Broadcom are up 3%. Chipmaker gave an upbeat sales forecast indicating demand remains strong. And shares of DocuSign are higher by 11%. The company boosted its revenue guidance for the full year. New developments this morning, Nathan, in the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried has missed a key deadline set by a Senate committee. Let's get the latest now live with Bloomberg Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Amy and Nathan. Bankman-Fried had until 5 p.m. yesterday to respond to a letter requesting he appear before a Senate banking committee next week. Chairman Sherrod Brown warning he and ranking member Pat Toomey are prepared to issue a subpoena if Bankman-Fried does not comply. Bankman-Fried recently indicated he would testify before a House committee. It's unclear why he didn't respond to the Senate panel's request, though a spokesman for the disgraced FTX founder confirms he hired a defense attorney. Bankman-Fried admits to a series of business blunders, but denies defrauding anyone. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Steve, thank you. Now to the latest on Brittany Griner. The WNBA star was expected to land in San Antonio, Texas from Russia overnight, hours after the U.S. traded a notorious arms dealer for her release. Republicans are criticizing the prisoner swap. They call Griner a geopolitical pawn. Democratic Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee represents Griner's hometown of Houston. No American should be left without knowing that the full power of the United States will be behind them to bring them home. Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee says Griner's release sends a message and puts a renewed spotlight on retired Marine Paul Whelan, who is still being held in Russia. S&P futures are up eight points. Dow futures up 35. So are NASDAQ futures, a gain of 35 points on the tech-heavy futures index. The 10-year Treasury is down one thirty-second. The yield 3.48%. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 
Thank you, Nathan. 507 on Wall Street, 38 degrees in New York. Plenty of sunshine to get your weekend started. We'll get up to 45 degrees today. Let's bring in Michael Barr with more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Amy. Advocates for people with mental illness are urging a federal judge to stop New York City Mayor Eric Adams' plan to force people from the streets and into mental health treatment. Several organizations, including the New York Lawyers for the Public Interest and the National Alliance on Mental Illness of New York City, said action was needed to stop large-scale involuntary hospitalizations. The lawsuit seeks to remove police officers as first responders for those requiring health care. When announcing the plan on November 29th, Adams called it a moral obligation to act. The U.S. is preparing new sanctions on Russia and China for what it describes as human rights abuses by both countries. According to officials familiar with the matter, the European Union is set to boost the size of a fund to finance weapons for Ukraine by at least $2.1 billion as early as next week. Congress took a historic step to protect marriage equality. The House passed bipartisan legislation cementing federal protections for same-sex and interracial couples. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says this bill is personal for him as his daughter and her wife are expecting their first child. Thanks to the tireless advocacy of many, many in this room, and the dogged work by many of my colleagues, my grandchild will live in a world that will respect and honor their mother's marriage. Republicans against the bill have claimed that it goes against religious freedom. NASA's Artemis moon mission is headed toward a Sunday splashdown in the Pacific. But first, the Orion spacecraft has to survive a 25,000-mile-per-hour, 5,000-degree reentry. Mission manager Mike Zarafin. On entry day, uh, we will realize our priority one objective, which is to um, demonstrate the vehicle lunar reentry conditions, as well as our priority three objective, which is to retrieve the spacecraft. NASA's Mike Seraphin says a safe reentry will help certify the spacecraft as being safe for humans. NASA hopes to fly it around the moon with an astronaut crew in a couple of years. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Amy. All right. Thank you, Michael. It's 510 on Wall Street. Time now for the Sports Report, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Here's John Stashauer. All right, Amy. The Mets drafted Brandon Nimmo in the first round back in 2011. He's developed into a solid center fielder, both at the plate and in the field. And the Mets are keeping Nimmo an eight-year deal for $162 million, which means the Mets' payroll in 2023 is likely to be around $320 million, far and away the most in baseball history. Mets have also signed veteran reliever David Robertson. What a few days for Baker Mayfield once the first pick of the draft. He was the week one starter for Carolina, released Monday by the Panthers, claimed on waivers Tuesday by the Rams. Mayfield had one practice with his new team and then played the entire game last night and threw a game-winning touchdown pass with 10 seconds left. The Rams ended a six-game losing streak, 17-16 over the Raiders. Giants winless in their last three games. And Sunday, in comes Philadelphia at 11-1, 5-0 on the road and led by quarterback Jalen Hurts. Five years ago, Hurts led Alabama to the national championship. Giants coach Brian Dayball was then the Bama offensive coordinator. I got a lot of respect for Jalen. Um... Tremendous person, first and foremost. Highly competitive, extremely smart, um, great leader. 
Reason why he's probably at the top of the list for MVP right now. The Jets Sunday visit Buffalo looking for a season sweep for the Bills. World Cup quarterfinals begin this morning with Brazil against Croatia. Later, the Netherlands off the win over the U.S. taking on Argentina. Knicks are in Charlotte tonight. They're without Obi Toppin. He's going to miss two, three weeks with a knee injury. Nets host Atlanta. Rangers visit Colorado. And the Islanders tonight take on the Devils. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Amy? All right, thank you, John. The Bloomberg Sports Report was brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. It's 5-11 on Wall Street. Coming up on Bloomberg Daybreak, we'll hear from former Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson. Ahead of that conversation, S&P futures 10 points higher, Dow futures up 40, NASDAQ futures up 39 points. 512 on Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Let's turn the conversation out. Brittany Griner, the WNBA star, was released from detention in Russia in a swap for a notorious arms dealer who had been convicted and imprisoned in the United States. Victor Boot is known as the, quote, merchant of death. His release is being criticized by the president's opponents. Now, for more on this situation, plus the broader geopolitical and national security landscape, Bloomberg's David John- David Weston spoke with former Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson. Let's listen in on that conversation now. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for being back with us. You have dealt with, if not specifically this sort of thing, things like this. How do they come about? We're told actually it was actually the intelligence agencies that worked this out rather than it being done through the White House. Well, David, it's when when I was general counsel of the Department of Defense, <clears throat> I was frequently involved, usually on the margins in uh, discussions over releases of Guantanamo detainees, exchanges. Uh, sometimes these are often conducted through the State Department, could be conducted through the Defense Department. Uh, we're hearing the intelligence community here. And the thing to remember about these types of situations this is, and many people will second guess exchanging Brittany Griner for a hardened, dangerous arms dealer who's in jail for a long time, who was lawfully and rightly convicted of something. It's not like a business deal where you can say, no, this company is not worth 500 million, it's worth 400 million. You have to deal with the cards you're, you're dealt. And we we have an American citizen who was imprisoned for a period of nine years for something that wouldn't even be a crime in the United States. Should we hold against her the fact that the person on the other side of the equation was rightfully convicted for something very dangerous? I say no. And there are many considerations, foreign policy considerations, national security considerations. It's a multidimensional context. So it's difficult to second guess this and i americans specifically in uh, members of congress i should hesitate to second guess this type of diplomacy yeah we have some uh, republicans right now already second guessing at the same time as, uh, is this a matter of national security or humanitarian concerns because as you say mr boot uh, was convicted of selling arms uh, to kill americans in colombia actually for the in- insurrectionists down there uh, and so he was a danger for national security uh, it, it, does this advance the national security in the united states or do we say you know as a country i'm sorry we care about our people we're going to bring them home no matter what I would say, David, all of the above. Um, Russia, of course, is in the midst of its illegal war in Ukraine. Uh, in how we view that situation from the national security perspective, 
the fact that the Russians have Brittany Griner is no longer part of that equation. So in that respect, it enhances our national security picture. Should we anticipate even the possibility that these discussions that happen with the Russians, whether through the UAE or otherwise, could lead to other discussions that might get people to the bargaining table with respect to Ukraine? I certainly hope so. President Biden has said that he would be willing to talk to Vladimir Putin under certain conditions. Uh, perhaps this is some form of pathway, though the personalities involved in this discussion may be wholly different from the personalities involved in the Russian government with other types of discussions. We just don't know. How concerned should we be about the use of drones to attack Russian bases inside of Russia by Ukraine? I think the United States has made it clear we did not supply the armament to get that done. At the same time, I'm not sure we're really discouraging Ukraine from doing it. Is this a really tricky part? Because we have Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, now starting to talk again about nuclear weapons. This was never going to be a technology that we could monopolize here in the United States. It's bound to happen that others would have armed drones for use in in, in conflict. Um, from my legal perspective, uh, we have to take extra care that armed drones are used in conformity with the laws of armed conflict. It's plain that Putin doesn't play by those rules, but Ukraine should. And so if there's a lawful military objective and it can be achieved through minimal collateral damage through an armed drone, I would say it's perfectly acceptable. Let's turn, if we could, to uh, national security and homeland security in particular that you were responsible for. Uh, we hear about various threats to the United States, most recently actually on power stations, substations in North Carolina that got shot up and took the power down to something like 75,000 Americans. Uh, how vulnerable are we, and particularly with respect to the power structure? Power grid is considered critical infrastructure. It's one of the 16 sectors of critical infrastructure in this country. This physical kinetic attack on the two substations demonstrates a vulnerability. Um, I don't know that we can have 24-7 armed guards around every substation in America. The key has to be redundancy. It, it shouldn't be the case that an attack with apparently rifles on two substations takes out as many as 75,000 Households, or I even heard the number 100,000 initially. Redundancy have to be has to be the key. That's former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson speaking with Bloomberg's David Weston on Balance of Power. You can catch that program weekdays at noon Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Futures are higher. S&P up 10 points. Dow up 34. NASDAQ futures up 37 points. Still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, we'll check the markets and bring you the latest news in business, economics, and finance. Stay with us on this Friday morning. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Nathan Hager. Futures are on the rise ahead of a report on U.S. producer prices. That'll be one of the final pieces of data that will inform a rate decision by the Federal Reserve next week. We check the markets all day long on Bloomberg. S&P futures right now up nine points or about a quarter percent. Dow futures up 38. NASDAQ futures are higher by 39 points. Ten-year Treasury is up 132nd. The yield 3.47%. Yield on the two-year 4.27%. NYMEX crude is up eight-tenths percent or 57 cents. It's $72.05 a barrel. 
COMEX Gold is up two tenths percent or three dollars ninety cents at eighteen oh five fifty an ounce. The euro one point zero five six one against the dollar. British pound one point two two five one. The yen is at one thirty six point zero nine. Bitcoin is higher by two tenths percent, trading around seventeen thousand two hundred dollars. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. Federal prosecutors will ask a judge today to hold former President Trump's lawyers in contempt. The Justice Department claims the attorneys have failed to fully comply with a subpoena that requires the return of all classified documents Trump might be holding. WNBA star Brittany Griner is arriving in San Antonio, Texas, after a prisoner swap with Russia. Reiner was arrested in February for illegally bringing hash oil and vape cartridges into Russia. Now the U.S. is trying to get American Paul Whelan freed from Russian custody. Thursday night football, the Rams beat the Raiders in a close one, 17-16. FIFA World Cup action resumes today. Croatia plays Brazil and the Netherlands faces Argentina. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Amy. All right. Thank you, Michael. It is 524 on Wall Street. I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg Daybreak. Let's get back to the markets again now with the latest call on stocks. One of the most accurate forecasters on Wall Street is turning bearish again. Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson says he does not think the bear market is over yet. He spoke with Bloomberg's Romain Vostick and Katie Greifeld. Let's listen in. We don't think that this bear market is over yet, uh, mainly because our forecast for next year on earnings is materially below the street. Now, I know that's becoming a bit of a consensus view, but I think our forecasts are even below uh, you know, kind of this new level that people are talking about. So we're at $195 for S&P earnings next year with a downward bias, and it could get worse than that. And the th- that we've really been talking about, Romain, is this idea around operating leverage, how it's now working against companies, that inflation coming down is actually good for bonds and good for yields to come down, but it's not good for profits because it squeezes margins. At 195, though, I, I mean, I'm just doing the quick back of the envelope math. I mean, where does that take valuations from where we are today? I would assume there still has to be a pretty significant drop that would actually bring us down to something commensurate with $195. Well, that's exactly right. So, you know, at, at 3,500, when we made that tactical bullish call, you know, it was kind of, okay, we're getting closer. That's it's a decent level to be taking a swing here. But now back close to 4,000, you know, we're talking about 20 times earnings again. And that's just the wrong price. Uh, even if the Fed pauses, you know, rate hikes, you know, rate levels are much higher than where they were, you know, a year or two ago. So it's really difficult to argue for 20 times being the right multiple. What is the right multiple? It's probably closer to something like 16 times. And that's why we think we can make new lows sometime in the first half of next year. And Mike, to the point that inflation cooling actually peaking would be bad for stocks, good for bonds. You said something last week that I've been thinking about since. You said that you want to be in cash first, then you want to buy treasuries, then credit and buy equities last. Where are we on that time frame? Should we be buying duration here? That's exactly right. So we've been adding duration in our portfolios really since the summer, probably a little earlier than we should have. But, you know, we, we, we try to be a little bit ahead of the game. 
Um, so yes, front end cash, you know, short duration was the first place to go for safety because it was a bear market for bonds and stocks. But then bond yields reached an attractive level. We thought this summer, and of course we exceeded that. We got to four and a quarter on a 10 year. And now we've come back to 350. So it's obviously not as good a value as it was a month ago, but it's still a better place to be if we're going to be right about the earnings cycle. And then investment grade credit, you know, also offers a pretty good uh, place to be as long as you're high you know, on the credit quality side, and you're probably not, you know, five, you know, five to seven years is kind of your duration there. And then, yes, equities are last. Now, within equities, you know, we've been positioned all year in sort of the defensive sectors, which are basically bond proxies, right? So that's why we've outperformed so much this year in our portfolios, because we basically made that shift. Even within our equity books, you can be defensive, and that's what the market likes right now. And that's Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson speaking with Bloomberg's Romaine Bostic and Katie Greifeld. You can hear more of that interview online at Bloomberg.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal. Bloomberg Daybreak is brought to you by SEI. Imagine your asset management firm's operational infrastructure as a competitive advantage. Let SEI show you how at SEIC.com slash IMS. Now let's take a look at today's Bloomberg weather forecast and what's in store for the weekend with Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn. We'll conclude the work week with sunshine. We have high pressure in control. That leads to temperatures climbing up to about 45 this afternoon, so definitely cooler over yesterday. Clear tonight, 30 to 35, 20s in the suburbs. It'll be partly sunny at times tomorrow, 40 to 45. Cloudy on Sunday, there's a chance of afternoon showers, highs 40 to 45, and a few spots may see those showers mix with wet snow Sunday evening. I'm Rob Carolyn with your three-day forecast on Bloomberg 1130. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 99.1. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's coming up on 5.30 on Wall Street. Good Friday morning. I'm Amy Morris. And I'm Nathan Hager. We're nearly four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Futures are moving higher ahead of today's inflation data. The producer price index will be one of the final readings before next week's Fed decision. Let's get a preview from Bloomberg's Vinny Del Judice. November's producer price index rose 8% year-over-year, the smallest increase since June 2021. Mind you, that is still well above the Federal Reserve's overall inflation target. What's going on? Bloomberg Economics notes goods prices are moderating as domestic and global demand slow and supply chain delays ease. The strong dollar is also an issue. Next week, we get data on November consumer prices. Vinny Del Judice, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Vinny, thank you. That producer price data comes out at 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time, followed by University of Michigan sentiment 90 minutes later. And Nathan, despite calls for a recession, some of the biggest investors predict stocks will see gains next year. 71% of respondents in a Bloomberg survey expect equities to rise. That compares with 19% forecasting declines. Now, one of those forecasting declines is Morgan Stanley Chief Investment Officer Mike Wilson. He has turned bearish again, saying value stocks are a risk. So I don't think there's as much of a distinction between value and growth at this stage of the economic cycle, unless you're talking about the defensive parts of value. Morgan Stanley Chief Investment Officer Mike Wilson expects the S&P 500 to resume declines relatively soon. 
And new developments this morning in the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried has missed a key deadline set by a Senate committee. Let's get the latest live with Bloomberg's Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Amy and Nathan. Sam Bankman-Fried faces the possibility of a subpoena after he failed to respond to a request to appear before a Senate panel next week. Lawmakers are demanding an explanation for the implosion of FTX. Bankman-Fried indicated he would testify before a House committee. It's unclear why he's remaining silent on this one though the FTX founder recently retained a defense attorney. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Steve, thank you. And WNBA star Brittany Griner is on her way home to Texas after a prisoner swap with Russia. Her release has put a renewed spotlight on retired Marine Paul Whelan, who is still imprisoned in Russia. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says negotiations for Whelan's release are ongoing, but Russia won't budge. We did not want to lose the opportunity uh, before us to secure the release of one of them. And so that was the choice, one or none. Corrine Jean-Pierre the White House says they are still working to secure Whelan's release. Right now, S&P futures are up 10 points. Dow futures up 46. NASDAQ futures are higher by 42 points. Ten-year treasuries up two thirty seconds, yield 3.47%. NYMEX crudes up eight-tenths percent at 72.06 a barrel. And COMEX gold is up two-tenths percent, trading at 18.05.20 an ounce. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. Thank you, Nathan. 531 on Wall Street. Let's bring in Michael Barr with more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Amy. There's a call for a federal judge to stop a plan by New York City Mayor Eric Adams to force people from the streets and into mental health treatment. Advocates for people with mental illnesses say that the policy dangerously permits the involuntary detention of individuals who seem to have a mental illness. The lawsuit seeks to remove police officers as first responders for those requiring health care. The Department of Justice is asking a federal judge to hold former President Trump's team in contempt over the Mar-a-Lago case. The DOJ says Trump's office failed to fully comply with a May subpoena to return all classified documents in his possession. The U.S. is preparing new sanctions on Russia and China. It's for human rights abuses by both countries. The Respect for Marriage Act has passed the House and Senate. It will protect same-sex and interracial marriages. It has bipartisan support, but Republican Representative Dan Muser of Pennsylvania says he chose not to support the revised version of the bill. I voted for it last time because it was very clear it was a vote for a protection of marriage. This one seems to be, in, in my view, more about an encroachment on religious organizations. President Biden plans to sign it soon. It's the home stretch for NASA's Artemis moon mission. NASA mission manager Mike Serafin. The mission continues to proceed well and along the uh, the planned mission profile, and we are setting up for Earth reentry and splashdown and recovery of the Orion capsule following a skip reentry on December the 11th. If it all goes well, NASA hopes to send a crew to fly around the moon in a few years. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Andy. All right. Thank you, Michael. 
534 on Wall Street. Time now for the Sports Report, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Here's John Stashauer. All right, thanks, Amy. This is why Mets fans were so happy when Steve Cohen bought the team. Deep pockets. Mets already with the highest payroll. Added to it by keeping free agent center fielder Brandon Nimmo. An eight-year contract for $162 million. The Mets have also added veteran reliever David Robertson. Had two stints with the Yankees and with the Phillies. At the end of this past season, the L.A. Rams having perhaps the worst season ever for a defending Super Bowl champion. They were looking at a seventh straight loss, trailed the Raiders by 13 with under four minutes left. But Baker Mayfield, two days after being acquired by the Rams, led them on two long touchdown drives through a game-winning TD pass with 10 seconds left. The Rams won 17-16. College hoops, heartbreaking loss. For Rutgers, Ohio State hit a three-pointer with one second left. Beat the Scarlet Knights 67-66. They'll hand out the Heisman Trophy tomorrow in New York. The favorite is USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Army-Navy game is tomorrow in Philadelphia. Jason Garrett, former Cowboys coach, former Giants assistant, a finalist to be the new coach at Stanford. World Cup down to the final eight with one surprise team. That's Morocco, never before a quarter finalist, playing Portugal tomorrow ahead of the much-anticipated England-France game today. It's Brazil against Croatia. Argentina takes on the Netherlands. Knicks just beat the Hawks. Nets just beat the Hornets. Tonight they reverse opponents. The Knicks are in Charlotte, and the Nets home for Atlanta. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Amy? All right, thank you, John. The Bloomberg Sports Report was brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local Tri-State Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. Futures are higher on this Friday as we start your weekend. It's 5.36 on Wall Street. Time now for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. A new class action lawsuit involving emergency medical employees has been filed against New York City. It claims predominantly minority and female emergency medical service employees earn less than the city's mostly white male firefighters, even though the two groups perform about the same work. Casanova College, a small private school in upstate New York, will close its doors at the end of the academic year, citing a financial squeeze from tumbling enrollment. Unfavorable demographic trends, inflation, and the pandemic hampered the school's finances. Soaring interest rates also added to the challenges. Jeffrey Bank temporarily closed two restaurants in Times Square during the pandemic, but he signed a lease on another space nearby. Now Cranes says he's debuting a new venue, Mermaid Inn Oyster Bar in Times Square, with restaurant power couple Cindy Smith and Danny Abrams. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thank you, Ed. It's 537 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. Former President Donald Trump hasn't managed to criticize comments made by his recent private dinner guest, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, who took to a podcast to praise Hitler and deny the Holocaust. Trump's other guest that night, the white supremacist Nick Fuentes, has called for a, quote, total Aryan victory, unquote. It would be tempting to dismiss such statements as the usual rantings by the usual crazies, except that the host of this vile gathering is still the odds-on favorite to be the Republican nominee for president. If Trump can't bring himself to condemn such sentiments, his party needs to. Anti-Semitism has no place in American politics. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. 
Bloomberg Opinion editorials can be heard every weekday at this time, and Terminal customers can read more at OPINGO. Futures are higher this morning. S&P futures up 10 points. Dow futures up 41. NASDAQ futures up 41 points. Ten-year Treasury unchanged. The yield at 3.47%. Two-year yield at 4.2%. NYMEX crude is seven-tenths of a percent higher. That's about 50 cents. Trading now at $71.96 per barrel. Brent crude trading at $76.44 per barrel. It is 29 cents higher. Up next on Bloomberg Daybreak, we'll be talking with senior U.S. equity strategist Nadia Lovell at UBS Financial Services. And we'll look ahead at the data points that are coming out later this morning. Stay with us much more on this Friday morning. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Nathan Hager. Futures continue to rise this morning as investors await one of the final key pieces of data before next week's Federal Reserve decision. Producer prices out at 8.30 Wall Street time. We check the markets for you all day long at Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are up 10 points. Dow futures up 44. NASDAQ futures are on the rise by 43 points. The DAX in Germany is up four-tenths percent. The CAC in Paris and FTSE in London both up by one-tenth of one percent. The 10-year Treasury is up 132nd, yield 3.47%, yield on the two-year 4.27%. NYMEX crude's moving higher, up 9 tenths percent, or 65 cents at $72.10 a barrel. COMEX gold up 2 tenths percent, or $3.80 at 1805.30 an ounce. The euro 1.0559 against the dollar, British pound 1.2247. The yen is at 136.08. Bitcoin's higher by 2 tenths percent, trading around $17,200. On top of producer prices at 10 a.m. this morning, we get wholesale inventories and the University of Michigan sentiment index. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with uh, more on what's going on around the world. Michael? Nathan, thank you very much. Federal prosecutors will ask a judge today to hold former President Trump's lawyers in contempt for failing to fully comply with a subpoena that requires the return of all classified documents Trump might be holding. A Trump spokesman says this is a political witch hunt. WNBA star Brittany Griner will arrive in San Antonio, Texas soon after spending more than nine months in Russian custody. Her family has asked for privacy for Griner to heal. Thursday night football, the Rams beat the Raiders 17-16. FIFA World Cup action resumes today. Croatia plays Brazil. The Netherlands faces Argentina. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Gaming. All right. Thank you, Michael. It is 542 on Wall Street, and this is Bloomberg Daybreak. I'm Amy Morris alongside Nathan Hager. Let's take a look at some of the other stories making news this morning. We take a look at stocks on the move, starting with Lululemon. Shares are down 6.9% in the pre-market after the yogaware maker reported lower-than-expected profitability. We get that story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. 
Gross margin, a key gauge of profitability, was 55.9% in the third quarter. That was short of analyst average estimate of 56.7%. Inventories also surged from a year earlier, evoking similar problems experienced by retailers that have led to profit-busting markdowns. Lululemon raised its sales forecast for the full year, ending in January, to as much as $7.99 billion. While that is up from the previous range of as much as $7.94 billion. The low end was still below analyst average estimates. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thanks. You're also keeping an eye on shares of Broadcom this morning. They're up about 3% after the chipmaker gave an upbeat sales forecast. The company indicates demand remains strong from corporate customers and the data center industry. At the same time, uh, Broadcom is declining to give full-year guidance for 2023, citing uncertain economic conditions. Shares of DocuSign are up 11% this morning. The company reported earnings that topped estimates and boosted its revenue guidance for the full year. DocuSign provides electronic signature solutions for businesses to prepare, sign, and manage contracts. And the uh, hits keep coming for Carvana, Amy. Those shares are down nearly 5%. It's giving up some of yesterday's massive gains. The stock surged nearly 30% after we reported Carvana's consulting with lawyers and investment bankers about options for managing its debt load. We're told the used car seller is looking at options as its bonds trade below 50 cents on the dollar. And Nathan, while we are waiting for the PPI data this morning, we want to talk about that and a few other data points with senior U.S. equity strategist Nadia Lovell at UBS Financial Services. Nadia, thank you for taking the time with us on this Friday morning. Uh, first of all, what are you looking for out of today's data? You know, we do expect that the producer's price index today will continue to moderate. We know commodity prices, including lumber, wheat, cotton, all have come down, and that should help. But I think what's most important for market is going to be next week, the CPI. I mean, you do expect some modest moderation in that as well versus prior months. A good size is seeing disinflation as supply chain disruptions continue to improve. We've seen used cars prices come down. Commodity prices have come off behind gasoline prices. Um, but I also think the key factor for CPI will be that core services, ex-housing, um, as that's likely to really be a key driver of the Fed's reaction to function going forward. We noted that Powell pointed that out last week. So, Nadia, is is peak inflation then behind us? We think so. We think that peak inflation is behind us, but inflation is going to remain elevated near term. I mean, we're seeing progress being made, but we don't think that you're going to get something that's more in line with the Fed's um, 2% target until you probably get into 2024. We expect core um, CPI to get to probably about 4% by the time we get to mid-2023, and then in the sort of 2 to 3% range by the time we get to the end of next year. And that's you... going to be driven by a slowdown in the economy, really. Okay. that's ex- <laughs> I love it when the guest anticipates <laughs> my questions. Uh, so what do you think about growth heading into 2023? We expect growth to decelerate. We know that monetary policy acts with a lag, and we're going to see the full effect of all these rate hikes that we have had over the last year in 2023. So we are looking for a mild recession, a short one in 2023 by the time we get to mid-year. And then we think that the Fed pause in early part of the year and then probably look to cut towards the end of the year as the economy enter recession and that's just help growth to sort of resume when we get into 2024. So are you then expecting a mild recession in the coming year and we need to buckle up? 
we do need to buckle up. There's going to be a lot of volatility, but we do know that the, the equity market, quote unquote, tends to be a forward looking market. And we're going to think that we're going to see a lot of volatility in the first half of the year. I mean, right now the market is in somewhat a we'll wait and see mode and somewhat directional as waiting for the Fed decision next week. But when we get into the first half of the year, we think that some of those lows that we saw in October could be retested as the earnings of downgrade accelerate in the first half of the year. So buckle up for the first half, be patient, and then start to nibble in the market as we see those pullback come because we think that you're going to get a resumption um, in the upward trend in the market towards the second half of next year and into 2024. So a little bit rocky in the first part of 2023, kind of eases off. Um, and you mentioned earnings. I'm curious about what you see from earnings expectations. You have mentioned in the past that the the expectations are too high. Are you standing by that? We're standing by that. They come in quite a bit, but we still think there's just more to go. I mean, you're hearing from companies, even just the um, news that you just updated on. Margins are going to be under pressure in 2023. We think that those are going to come in. And so the consensus expectation for growth next year just doesn't make sense in a slowing economy. And so we're thinking that you're probably going to see at least 4 to 5% contraction in earnest for next year versus that 5% growth that the consensus is looking for. And a lot of that is going depend on how shallow this recession and how short the recession is going to be. If it's worse than we expect, you could see earnings down in the mid-teens. That's sort of what typically happens in a plain vanilla recession, if you will. A vanilla recession. Um, while we are watching for this recession, what are the sectors that you are looking into? What are you watching for in just the next few months? I think you want to be positioned defensively. You want to look for those sectors that where the earnings are going to be more durable and less at risk. And that, by that, I mean like consumer staples, healthcare. You know, I also think that energy is interesting here, still interesting despite the volatility that we're seeing in oil. We think that oil is going to get back above $100 on Brent, and that should be supportive to the energy sector. And also, just recently, you've just seen a decoupling between the commodity and the sector. A lot of these companies are generating a tremendous amount of free cash flow. Free cash flow yields are in the low teens. Dividend yields are in the high single digits. So we also think that energy is an area to continue to, to invest in. And very briefly, 20 seconds here. Will today's PPI data matter? Not as much as next week's CPI. All eyes is on that and also the Fed dots for next next week. We want to see how high is that terminal rate ultimately it's going to be. We know it's higher, but by how much? All right. We're going to be watching it with you. Senior U.S. equity strategist Nadia Lavelle at UBS Financial Services. Some of the most important data points that are going to be coming out uh, before the next Fed meeting that's coming up next week. Now let's look at the futures. S&P futures are 10 points higher. Dow futures up 40 points. NASDAQ futures up 44. Ten-year Treasury unchanged the yield at 3.48%. Much more still to come on this Friday morning. Stay with with this, we'll have more in, in, insight into the PPI data coming out. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
I'm Nathan Hager. Futures are moving higher ahead of this morning's producer price data. We check the markets all day on Bloomberg. S&P futures are up 10 points. Dow futures up 42. NASDAQ futures higher by 43 points. Ten-year treasuries little change. The yield 3.47%. NYMEX crude is up 1.1% at $72.24 a barrel. COMEX gold up a quarter percent at 1805.80 an ounce. The euro is at 1.0553 against the dollar, the yen, 136.04. And that is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Amy. Nathan, it is 5.56 on Wall Street. Time for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, exploring legal issues in the news. Today, we're looking at the Supreme Court, considering a novel and far-reaching argument that would give state legislatures virtually unchecked power to make rules for congressional and presidential elections. And they would do so essentially without any oversight from state courts. At oral arguments on Wednesday, some key justices expressed wariness about the so-called independent state legislature theory, which would preclude state judges and other officials from performing longstanding roles in shaping congressional districts, voter eligibility, and mail-in ballot requirements. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grosso speaks to constitutional law professor Stephen Vladek of the University of Texas Law School. Did it seem to you at the oral argument there were three camps of justices, the three liberals who were firmly against this theory, the three conservatives who are farthest to the right, who were in favor of it, and then the three justices in the middle who seem to be in the middle? <laughs> I think that's right, Gene. I mean, I think, you know, there have been concurrent opinions in the last couple of years where at least four justices have expressed some modicum of support for the independent state legislature theory. But I think what we saw at the argument is that there really are only three who are all the way in on what really would be a radical rewriting of federalism, of how we understand the Constitution to structure the relationship between the federal government and the states. So I don't think we're going to end up with five votes for either of the extreme possibilities. That is to say, either five votes to endorse the extreme version of the independent state legislature theory or five votes to categorically reject it. What's much less clear to me is whether there are going to be five votes for any version of the theory. Because once you cross the line, once you say that there are circumstances in which, you know, the federal constitution outside of, say, the due process clause, but just the literal reference to the legislature in the federal constitution disempowers state Supreme Court in any circumstance. You know, I think that's a pretty dangerous road to go down. Neil Katyal, who was arguing for the voters who challenged the North Carolina map, said the blast radius from their theory would sow election chaos. So this theory could apply to anything the legislature decides to do, rules on mail-in ballots, absentee voting, anything. I mean, that's, you know, it depends on how far you go. But at its broadest, you know, taken literally, the independent state legislature theory would basically say that state constitutions are just about irrelevant when it comes to the rules that state legislatures set for federal elections. And that, you know, a state legislature can set a rule soon that might violate the federal constitution, but that there's no room for state Supreme Courts to strike down, whether it's congressional districts or voting rules or anything of the like, on the ground that it violates the state constitution. And that would have obviously dramatic consequences. There's a kernel out there about whether that would even allow a state legislature to throw out the results of a presidential election. I think there are ways to embrace the broad version of the theory without going quite that far. But, you know, the Overton window has already moved so much on this theory that I think it's not irrational for folks to be worried about that prospect. 
Stephen Vladek of the University of Texas Law School speaking with Bloomberg's June Grosso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BlawGo. And straight ahead, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. Hour two of Bloomberg Daybreak starts right now. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.